Welcome to a special edition of 77 Minutes in Heaven, the Mavs podcast here on the Athletics Podcast Network. Uh, I am Brian Damaris. He is Mark Falwell. Hello there. I say special edition because we have our first guest, Director of Player Health and Performance for the Mavs, Casey Smith, will join us uh, here in a bit and tell us everything that's going on with uh, how the players are dealing with this in terms of uh, staying in basketball shape, figuring out things uh, on their own for their own families, all the questions we have. I think it's going to be a a really enlightening discussion that, you know, we don't hear from Casey a lot. And and so I think uh, getting somebody who's really on the front lines, a lot of this uh, is going to be um, something really insightful for Mavs fans. Yes, absolutely. Also, I hope maybe later on I can provide a little bit of insight. I did get a chance to have an Instagram chat uh, on the NBA Instagram uh, feed with Christoph Porzingis this week. So maybe uh, we'll kick around a few thoughts from that because I know you had a chance to watch our 20-minute discussion, 20, 25 minutes, whatever it was, on Monday afternoon. And uh, not a lot of news to update around the NBA, but we'll at least hit a couple of notes. And uh, the long-awaited list of uh, follow Will favorite restaurants on the road is coming at you, Brian. How oh, that? all right. Well, let's not waste any time. Let's get right to it. Okay, follow well. So we are joined now by our first guest here on 77 Minutes in Heaven, the Mavs Director of Player Health and Performance, Casey Smith. Thanks for joining us, Casey. Uh, You're welcome, guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, So first, I want to go back to March 11th when, I guess, seven minutes and change in the third quarter when uh, Cuban found out, as we've all seen that video memed very often uh, when, when Scott Tomlin showed him what the NBA had sent out officially, uh, what was your reaction and, and was there any concern about continuing the game that evening? Uh, you know, my, re- my reaction was you know, internally based on some discussions that we had had in communication with the league and the announcement that, you know, Golden State was going to play a game without fans and things like that. You know, I had felt personally that that was, probably going to be a scenario that happened where we got to the point where we weren't safely able to play games um, in the game. It was not any concern as far as finishing the game because the, the risk, as we all know now is public exposure. And the game is already there. Everyone's already in the arena. You know, the exposure is what the exposure is. Um, so there was, you know, no concern during the game like that. It was just more a surreal point of, you know, Holy cow, this is, you know, what we had talked about being worst case scenario and it's actually happening. Casey from, from 15 years. And it's great to talk to you, by the way, it's nice to hear your voice. It's been a while Um, from, (laughs) from, from 15 years as an athletic trainer and now as director of player health and performance, you know, I, I think we obviously associate athletic trainer as getting the body prepared for an athlete to play, being an NBA player or whatever sport an athletic trainer is involved in, uh, Areas such as this, uh, infectious disease, global pandemic, uh, obviously you're well more well-versed in these things than many of us are, of course, but is there anything in your career as a trainer that can prepare you for the magnitude of what you experienced that night or what you have experienced since then? Yeah, I had a kind of a similar surreal experience in 2009. I was on a, a trip um, with the NBA in China um, for a Basketball Without Borders trip when one of our campers tested positive um, for avian flu and there was a SARS concern in China at the time. So even we had we had a very brief window to leave China. They were quarantining uh, American citizens. Uh, there was a group from Oregon, a group of high school students that ended up being quarantined for, I believe it was 21 days. Um, so even leaving the country, then we had thermal body scans, we had temperature checks prior to passport control mm. and laser temperature checks. Once again, upon boarding the, uh, the plane, in addition to full body thermal scans. So going through that in 2009 and looking at containment procedures in China as they were going on was very eye opening. Um, and, and has led me, you know, kind of leading up to this, to take this, um, very seriously and, you know, uh, in a tongue-in-cheek way, my, my wife had taken to calling me Doomsday Casey um, as it had uh, as things had been progressing. I've been monitoring things, but um, you know that that situation in China, looking at control measures, was was very eye-opening for me. 
Speaking of monitoring things, I, I bring this up because she put it out there and talked about it. And of course, we we all love and think the world of Doris Burke. Doris spoke at length on Adrian Wojnarowski's pod last week about the fact that she tested positive for COVID-19. And then looking back on it, was experiencing some symptoms the night of March 11th, whenever she was on the ESPN telecast of the Mavericks Denver Nuggets game. Now, at that point in time, of course, as you recall, media social distancing measures were already in place in terms of player interaction. But upon hearing that news that that she was there that night, did that uh, alarm you in terms of uh, retrospect and looking back at that particular night, knowing there at least was one person in the building who had identified themselves as having tested positive and being symptomatic? No, I, I would say that that is not, was not alarming, is not alarming, because just the sheer, the sheer mathematics of, of everything involved is that the exposure is already there and endorse would not be a, a single exposure. And our expectation would not be that that would be, you know, a solitary exposure. It's just mathematically the, the, the level of contagiousness and things like that, that um, it, it's unfortunate for her. Um, and, you know, she continues to do well, but I think we, we all have to kind of assume that's why we're doing this social distancing. It's why we're staying at home. You know, you have to, assume that you've been exposed um, and, and we're trying to slow that down and, um, you know, trying to, I, I heard it put very well on the day on the, on the news the other day, you've got to, you've got to live like, live like you've tested positive to limit your interactions, limit your things. So um, from my standpoint, I, I assume that exposure has, has been out there for some period of time and, and, you know, try to maintain things accordingly. So are you getting any, uh, what's your communication with the league? Is the league giving you guidance? Do you have, you know, uh, kind of a person who heads the the trainers and player development, you know, player health people that, that are kind of keeping you up to date on the latest uh, that they're hearing? Yeah, the league, and, and I know you guys see that on social media when certain memos come out or certain things come out. The league has been very um, forward thinking in their communication, um, in setting boundaries, you know, what's permissible, what's not permissible, what kind of things do we want to monitor, what kind of systems do we want in place for people that aren't feeling well, uh, things like that. So the league has been very, very diligent with those steps and, and has kept, you know, we've kept pace um, with you know, numerous conference calls and emails and video chats and um, to, to make sure that we all have consistent policies in place and that they're, they're put there to protect the players and staff and, and public health. Casey, I know that in your time with the Mavs and, and with strength and conditioning coaches that you've worked with, Jeremy Holsoppel and Jace Fredenberg, who are both of the Mavericks right now, you guys uh, are very diligent and very creative in terms of structuring individual plans for players to put them in the best position if it's rehabbing from an injury or to, mag- uh, to maximize, that is, their fitness throughout the course of a long, grinding 82 season, 82-game uh, season, that is. You guys are, are always on top of that and do something such a great job with that. This situation is so unique. It must really be testing your creativity, if you will, to be able to continue to monitor fitness levels, put plans in place to help players stay in the best physical condition possible for the the day that comes when we are able to restart this back up again. Could you just address, uh, you know, the the uh, mental gymnastics that you guys are having to go through right now to, to put players in, in some sort of frame of mind to, to keep them in the best shape possible. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, the, the mental gymnastics you say, it, it's a, it's a mental and a physical component too, where we're certainly we're concerned physically about, you know, how the players are doing and, and are they able to maintain some level of fitness and things like that. But then on the other hand, you know, it can't be every time that they hear from me via call, FaceTime, text. It can't be like, hey, did you do your workout? Hey, are you working out? Hey, did you eat right? Like, there has to be a little bit of a balance in there as well, too. It's like, it is uncharted territory. It is a difficult situation. We, you know, we know there's issues with motivation and compliance and things like that when we don't have a known schedule. Um, so, so, yeah, we, you know. Jeremy, Jeremy, especially on, and his staff on that end of that have have you know pushed workouts to guys through uh, through a cloud based app system. Um, you know we've had equipment delivered, um, but both strength and cardiovascular equipment, things like that, to to keep the players fit. But 
you know, it's also a little bit of balance of trying to see the human side with them as well and not just be, you know, checking in, you know, like, uh, like your PE gym coach from uh, <laughs> junior high, making sure you're doing everything you're doing. Yeah. And on that, on that note, uh, are they coming to you with, you know, family questions and kind of the, the, all the questions we have about food and, and, you know, how to clean surfaces. I mean, just the, you know, these people have families or loved ones that may have elderly parents that are in different countries or different states that they're worried about. Uh, I'm, I'm sure at some point you become a sounding board for some of that as well. Yeah. You know, we, we try to be the kind of best practices, information repository that we can. We have pushed um, lots of, lots of, you know, research or lots of articles um, things like that for them to teach them that we've had video interactions with our team physicians, with the players, giving them a form to ask questions, just like you're talking about, Brian, uh, you know, if they have concerns about their family, if someone's not feeling well, what are the best steps to take? What does Dallas County allow and recommend that we do, you know, all those type of things. So yeah, it's a, it's, it's a constant for, as all of us, a constant, level of education and and we're we're trying to pass that along to them as best we can. Casey, when I think about observations I've had from from 21 seasons of doing Maverick games and watching NBA basketball, two things I think I feel like I've got a pretty good handle on in terms of of what are important to players and that is routine and routine can be many things. Routine can be what you do on a game day. Routine can be what you do in the process of shooting two free throws. And so routine is completely disrupted for those guys right now. And the other thing that it's important is that a, a season provides the opportunity to really build relationships with your teammates. And that becomes very, very important over the ups and downs of what you experience as a group of 15 men together for for and, and 17 now with roster size, but 17 men together over the course of six months and the group that's around them. So uh, from your perspective, can you share with us how guys are coping with the total disruption of routine and the the lack of, of something that's very important? And that is uh, physical relationship contact, being close to and around their teammates all the time. Yeah. And, and I think your point, Mark, on, on the disruption routine, when I do talk to the players, um, that, that is the kind of the hardest thing because it's not only the routine of the NBA, but they've had this routine of, you know, either playing basketball or preparing to play basketball most of their adolescent and, and adult and young adult lives. So that, that lack of that routine is really, it's really challenging for them um, as it is for all of us in, mm-hmm. in this situation, whether it's our routine with kids in school or our routine with our jobs our routine with our fitness, um, that, that, that lack of routine is, is a big challenge for them. And, that can affect motivation for all of us. You know, they're no different than that. And, and just not having that, you know, we were very structured leap, you know, you know, Hey, this is the schedule. This is what time we need to be here. This is what time we're eating. This is what time we're watching film. This is what time we're practicing. Um, you know, kind of all of a sudden have that, you know, pulled away, puts a lot of personal onus on, on the players um, to, you know, to try to deal with that and structure their days uh, as best they can. Uh, and what was the second part of that question? Mark? The, 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 what's the, what's the difficulty for players just not having the day-to-day face-to-face interaction with the, the people who are the most important people in their lives in terms of their teammates. That's such a, that's such a critical part, the chemistry of the team. And all of a sudden that's completely taken away from you as well. So how are guys adjusting to that from what you can tell? Yeah. You know, the, our, our director of sports psychology, Don Cockstein, um, that's something that he, he talks about, you know, even when we're not in a situation like this, but the importance of that camaraderie, the importance of that communication. So I know he's been working with the guys and trying to organize different ways for them to meet up and, and talk and, and share some of their thoughts and experiences. Um, but they're, they're trying to, you know, they FaceTime quite a bit. They have their various chat groups going and, and things along those lines. Um, but it, it, you know, it's challenging and the, the league is also, um, yeah, doing as, as much as they can, as far as their mental health support and, and things along those lines for the players during this time as well, based on those challenges, just that you're talking about. 
Casey, we've sit here and we've peppered you with questions, and we're talking with Casey Smith, the director of player health and performance for the Dallas Mavericks, and a longtime friend of both Brian and I. We, we, we peppered you with questions because you're somebody who has medical expertise, and you're somebody that we go to, and a lot of people are going to for your opinion. So you have to wear this hat of Casey Smith. Uh, I know you're studying for your doctorate, so you're about to be Dr. Casey Smith, and and you have you're this repository of knowledge, but you're a person dealing with a situation just like the rest of us that none of us have ever had to experience in our life. So how are you finding personally, Casey, the the ups and downs of I'm this person that people go to for information and knowledge, but man, I'm going through a hard time here too. And I'm having to adjust to something I've never experienced before as well. How are you personally handling all, handling all this? You know, per- personally, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm a, I'm a routine person as well, as you can imagine. Um, it's my 20th year in the NBA. So I'm, pretty used to the, the flow of the NBA season. Um, I will say the, the amount of work that the league is doing and that we're helping with the league um, as far as communication, disseminating information and education, um, contact and, and documentation of, of health of staff and players and things like that has kept me in, in a, not, not the same routine, but it's kept me in a routine um, and, uh, I, I've taken a better, uh, interest in my own personal fitness over the past four to five months. And that has only grown during this as well. I, I find that that helps me uh, maintain my stress levels and sleep better and things like that. If I, if I get a, uh, a good bout of routine exercise daily, um, and just trying to, you know, trying to communicate with people. I've seen, I've seen lots of people advocate maybe reaching out to people that maybe don't have as much communication and, and things like that. So I, I, I try to reach out to part of our staff or part of our players, particularly people that might be, you know, living by themselves or have family that are an extended uh, distance away, some things like that. So I think the same as all of us, I, I think I'm trying to manage it the same as all of us. Um, but, you know, I am fortunate to be here with, you know, my wife, Jennifer, and our son, Justin. And so we're, we're maintaining here in the Smith household and, and, and hanging in there. And are, are you sharing best practices? I, I know you have, you know, through you've been in the league 20 years, uh, friends that are head trainers and, and uh, directors of, of player health and performance at other teams. I, I assume you guys are, are swapping uh, best practices back and forth as well. Yeah, one hundred percent. We we you know frequently communicate with each other about challenges that we might have. You know how we're meeting them. If we're finding certain equipment companies that are able to deliver certain kinds of equipment and things like that to players, uh, there's a lot of that cross communication going. And we're also trying to communicate that to the league level as well, so that since we are all in the same boat, we're not trying to carve out a competitive advantage here. We're trying to. Now make sure that the league as a whole can remain in a, in a good, healthy place. So there, there is much of that sharing going on. And, and you're talking about routine. Is there any um, effort to say, okay, you know, 11 a.m., we want everybody to kind of uh, do their workout as if you were coming in, something like that. And then secondly, um, in terms of food, you know, again, a lot of these guys are young and, and uh, single Um is there help in saying here's you know here's places we think you should get nutrition because you know during the year they're they're fed by the team a lot of times. Yeah, the you know we we do provide them with places that are able to deliver food you know numbers contact people things like that. Um, they do have connection with our dietitian um, to still work on good food choices, healthy ordering things along those lines. Um, so you know they are. We, we are providing providing that service for them, and again, it, it's still an individual choice. It's still a personal decision, but we we do provide that for them, and uh, and you know they're they're making they're making the the best the, the most out of it that they that they can. Casey, are we still in such an uncertain time that you, have you even allowed yourself uh, a moment to think about what a mini camp? restart up might look like or are we still in such uncertain times that it would be wasted energy for you to even think about that right now no there, there's a group of us uh within the uh, athletic trainers within the nba that have had been having that conversation the last two weeks uh mm-hmm. to brian's earlier question about uh, communication between teams and things like that so so we're looking at that we've 
pulled quite a bit of research to look at connective tissue injuries and things like that after prolonged layoffs. So, so we're, we're being proactive with that. Um, you can't completely model it because the timeframes are still unknown. The, the time, the downtime is unknown and the allowable time to return to activity is unknown. So we can't model it perfectly, but we can get those, get those systems in place so that when we do get some timeframes that we can apply some of our, our best practices to that. Okay, well, as we wind this down, let's get some uh, specific updates on certain players that I know uh, from an injury perspective for our fans out there. Uh, can you give us some updates on Dwight, uh, Jalen, and Luca on their various uh, injuries? Well, I'm not supposed to do personal injury updates uh, per, the, uh, per the league rules. Okay. Um, well, generally speaking, no. I guess, can you just say <laughs> yeah. that that uh, fans can be confident that players are progressing and that this is not going to limit, you know, rehabs or injuries of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the league communication with the teams has been that we, we apply uh, for permission to see players that need a specific rehab. And, you know, we have a couple of people in that post-surgical situation uh, with Dwight and Jalen particularly. So we are able to you know, rehabilitate them you know, in a, in an appropriate manner so that they're not losing time. They can continue to advance with their rehab and be on their time frame uh, for return with, without losing, without losing weeks, months, things like that uh, from a rehabilitation or return to play standpoint. Very good information. Casey Smith, director of player health and performance for the Dallas Mavericks, men. We uh, we got to do this in a, in a setup during the preseason. I enjoy interviewing you. You know, we've been friends for a long time. I don't get a chance to interview you very often. So it's always a, a good time to pick your brain, especially uh, given your area of expertise about all of this. All right. Well, thank you guys for having me on. Welcome, Brian. And you guys uh, stay safe and stay home and take care of your families. Yes, sir. Thanks a lot, Casey. Follow well. We are... Uh Celebrating our first ever guest, Casey Smith. I thought that was a fantastic interview and some uh, real insight about how the league is communicating with the teams, how the trainers are communicating with themselves, how um, the teams are not only taking care of the physical bodies, but a lot of the mental aspects of what psychologically players are going through, whether they're at home. And we have a lot of international players who have probably elderly parents uh, overseas or uh, people with kids. I mean, yeah. there's just a lot of a lot of moving parts, and and also I thought interesting to know how um, Casey said he's on kind of a a steering committee to to already scope out what a uh, training camp, mini camp would look like, how much time would be needed. All all those things are in progress. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised to hear him say that because you know based on the way I asked the question. Um, you know, if we were if we were in a court of law, uh, there would be an objection. Counsel, you're you're leading the witness because, as as you recall, when I said, is it is it is a waste of time to think about that because things are so uncertain. But I think that's great to hear that they're being proactive in that regard, even though there's only so much you can plan for. As he said, uh, to quote Casey's exact verbiage, there's uh, so there's not much modeling you can do of it right now because we don't know, you know, when it's going to start back up, what the time frame is going to be like, how long the layoff will have been by the time it does start back up. But but I think it's it's very interesting to note what Casey said, and that is that look. Um, for, for years, we always have viewed the NBA through the lens of competition. Um, it's a no sympathy league, as Rick Carlisle was fond of saying, and everybody is is out for their own interest in terms of winning games and being in the best position possible. But this is one of those unique situations where everybody, uh, you know, as, as people say on social media in the big picture right now, we're all in this together. And from the NBA perspective, to hear Casey kind of shed some light on the fact that best practices are being shared amongst athletic trainers and player performance staffs. And it's not like there's a situation right now where a competitive advantage is what's being sought. The fact that, you know, this is a collective effort to do what's in the best interest of everybody that puts on a uniform in the league. Uh, that's that's really great to see that. And not surprising, but great to see it. Yeah, and I think they're planning, you know, they're, they're a very organized uh, league, you see, from Adam Silver's leadership. And and uh, even as we record this on, on Wednesday, uh, they, they had another call with team presidents to keep them updated on what's going on. And, and so... Um, I, I was also interested in kind of, as I mentioned, the the players, how they're, you know, how they're communicating with the teams and, and just the 
you know, the mental aspect of getting in a routine. How are they having fun? How are they filling their time? Again, a lot of these are single guys, maybe living at home or with a buddy or something like that. And that leads to a, an Instagram live chat that you had uh, with Christoph Porzingis uh, earlier this week. Uh, I thought it was really interesting. We spent about 30 minutes with him. Uh, kind of on on uh, what he's got going on in his life. Well, it was very nice of him to, you know, and, and totally unexpected. I did not think whenever I asked him about what he was doing to stay fit that he would basically get up and kind of walk around his apartment uh, wherever it is in Dallas and, and show us some of the equipment that he has there. And basically, he's got a Nerf basketball goal. Uh, but everything beyond that is, of course, state-of-the-art in terms of yeah, what Yeah, he had a little got. workout room. Yeah, yeah, in terms of what he has from a cardiovascular uh, resistance training perspective, everything that you could have in an apartment is state of the art other than like the Nerf basketball goal. So he's got himself in a position where he's going to be able to do as much work realistically possible, uh, to, to be able to, to maintain his fitness. And, 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 you know, he addressed that and, um, you know, we talked about it with Casey. I asked Chris Dobbs about it, that, that, yeah, they, they certainly miss being around each other. The guys on the team do. Uh, I, I loved what he said at the end of it when, when, when you know, I asked him what he's looking forward to most when he gets back, and it wasn't about being back uh, with the team, which I'm sure obviously he he does miss that and is obviously looking forward to it. But the fact that you know can't wait to be playing in front of fans again. And, and look, we you and I have discussed this before, um, and I think you know we 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 sensed it getting at that place when we thought games were going to happen without fans. And I think now there's a real realization of it. Fans provide so much to the atmosphere of the game. I mean, look, we may have no choice. If we want to restart the 2019, 2020 season, it may have to be done without fans there. And that's going to be, that's really going to be a bummer because I think there's just such a realization. Uh, even though we didn't experience games without fans, if you step back and think about being on the precipice of that and then thinking about it, you realize that's such an important component of, of the NBA experience or, or the sports in person experience, the watching sports on TV, what the crowd provides, or if you're actually there. Yeah. And I thought another um, thing I really liked about that video, and, and it's, I think you can still go on the NBA Instagram and find that archived is, you know, it showcased his personality. We see him a lot after games and either after a loss or a win, depending on what his mood's like. But, you know, we haven't seen a lot of, of times where he can really showcase you know, how funny he is. And, and even your, uh, smash hit game show, name that Latvian <laughs> kind of brought out some of that in him. Yeah. How about that? I don't know that NBC is going to be calling you to, to book you weekly to be after uh, jeopardy or anything, but, um, you don't see me following up Pat Sajak and Vanna, Pat no, and Vanna with wheel uh, of fortune. Keep your current career. <laughs> I did get, I, I did like seeing that aspect of his personality and, and I've seen a little bit of it before Brian. I mean, he's an engaging, funny guy. And I think sometimes we don't realize that as much because I, I think he came here from New York where the, the media world is very different, obviously. And so you probably learn pretty quickly there that you've got to be guarded, number one. And, and the other thing is that, look, he's an, 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 an extremely um, honest, self-critical guy. And, you know, think about it for a lot of this season – even though in the big picture his numbers were good, he was facing a lot of questions about chemistry with Luca and you know having off nights and and getting back to being the player that he was. And he's been very honest and and you know very self critical after a lot of games. He's been super hard on himself, as you know. So I think whenever you know you are giving interviews because for a stretch of the season, uh, even though I don't think he was playing poorly, but by his standards, he expected more of himself and he would get questions because other media and fans expected more of him. And so we saw that self-critical side. We didn't get a chance to see the uh, the funny side. And then, you know, look, when you're a player and you are playing well, it's not like you're going to be sitting there laughing and joking and cutting up about it. I mean, you're going to be, you know, if you're a good teammate, you're going to you're going to share the credit and do what he does, which is always talk about, you know, teammates putting him in a position to be successful. Uh, God, Sham God, who he's mentioned, and I asked him about that the other day, about the work that they've done individually and how important uh, working with Sham has been in terms of getting him back to the player that he was and and the numbers uh, before we stop things down certainly show that. And we saw that Dirk early in his career, you know, language barrier, uh, wasn't, you know, completely confident in his game yet, but then as he got more confidence. And as he, we saw him in venues outside of game day interviews, whether it be on radio stations or through funny videos, 
uh, his his sense of humor came out. And now we we see his self-deprecating style and love that. And I yeah. think the same kind of growth pattern can occur with with Luca and with uh, with Kristaps as well. Um, and it's also interesting, you know, they all have different avenues. You see like Jalen and Luca are into video games and some other players are sharing workout videos and things of that. So it's good to see kind of, you know, this time where we're forced, to, you know, everybody's forced to, to uh, show, you know, their, their positive qualities. Yeah. And it's awesome. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody's having to kind of, uh, you know, uh, work on themselves and explore uh, their other interests in life and, and other things and other pursuits and like you're uh, cooking. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and the tortilla day is coming. It, uh, it hasn't happened yet, but the, but the make my own tortilla day is coming. That's going to be yeah. huge. And I'm sure Instagram <laughs> will be alerted. Now I, uh, I'm kind of before after the fact at one point, yes. I'm not really a video game guy either. Uh, but I know, and I, this is one, I, I just have to bring this up because it's one of my favorite follow-up stories. You used to be a video guy, video game guy at some level because, uh, you got into a huge fight over Tecmo Bowl. <laughs> it was NFL Blitz, I believe. I'm sorry. It was. Yes, NFL when, Blitz. When Dookie and I were were at the ticket together and hosting, co-hosting a show, Doug Anderson I'm referring to, and we co-hosted a show. This is about 20 show. years ago. Yeah, we co-hosted a show together in 1999 and 2000. Uh, and we had been friends since 1990 when we were both working together at KNTU, the campus radio station at the University of North Texas. And so, yes, I got very mad because... Because when you would play you those playing games, an arcade version of yeah, NFL we were playing Blitz. an arcade version of NFL Blitz, and and you know you would have to call you know you would you would call your play on offense, and and the guy who's playing defense you know picks whatever defensive formation he wants to be in. Well, when you get to fourth down, and and if you know it's like okay, I'm thinking he's going to go, he's going to kick a field goal, and then he sees me hit the block the block field goal defense, you know, prepare for that. And then all of a sudden, if you change your mind real fast and switch to a pass a pass play, then you're in block field goal formation. He's in pass on offense. So of course you're screwed on defense. So it's like, and so I think there was, so after a couple of those, there were some verbal volleys and then it led to fisticuffs. uh, It didn't lead to that, but I said, yeah, I I think it would probably was stop doing that. If you're going to, Act like you're kicking a field goal. Kick the blanking field goal because blah blah. I'm mean, oh yeah. And was there a lot of like just really bad grappling and just <laughs> you know grabbing and things of that nature? I, and I, I think there. I don't think there was any grappling. There wasn't too much of that. There was just. I I know that there was me pounding. I, there was yes. There was definitely a, a slam in the fist. There was definitely uh, look. I'm a loud guy. And and uh, yeah. There was definitely a, a lot of yelling. There was uh, somebody close by named Scott Strong, who was at the time the program director for 93.3, which was our called then, I believe, The Merge. It was more kind of like an adult contemporary station, and it was one of our sister stations at that point in time. And he's like, guys, 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 you know. <laughs> it's like, you know, he didn't know what to do because, dude, it went from zero to 100 in like the snap of a finger. So, so. And I have to say, <laughs> you know, and you're a good friend of mine, but I'm kind of on his side. If he's found a... Uh, you know, a, a hack and a way to <laughs> to win. I, I, I'm not sure why you just can't change your, you know, your defense very quickly as well. well so because because once once you have once you've uh, selected what defense you want to be in, then that's it. So he hadn't selected a defense. He he was just like basically, you know, you have the joystick on the arcade oh, version. Oh, so of the you game. were picking so, before he was. Yeah, so he's maneuvering around. So he's maneuvering around, thinking about what he's going to do. This is and on then, you. Yeah, and then you know the 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 game's play clock is winding down, so you've got to make a decision. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, well, sometimes every once in a while you can block a kick on this game. You can block an extra point. You can block a field goal. So I'm going to try to I'm going to get into uh, field goal defense. And then all of a sudden, oh, now I'm going to pass, and there's not going to be anybody to cover your wide receivers at that point. You know what I love about this story is that 20 years later, <laughs> you're still firmly <laughs> believing in your position. Of course, man. Yeah, <laughs> which I'm against. I think you're. I think you just got swindled, and you're you just don't know how to deal with it. Uh, well, I don't like getting swindled, and I don't like to lose. Uh, you know, I'm not as competitive as I used to be. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, this was much younger, uh, high T follow well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and look, um, you know, video games are, are, I was never like a, a huge video game guy, but I had games that I liked to play a lot. And so, 
um, you know, whenever you would go really far, you know, when you would look like you would do well in a game. And like, I can remember being a kid one time and I had an Atari. And so, um, did you have an Atari? Yeah, 2600. Yeah. So, so Activision sold games for that. And one of the games that Activision sold was called Pitfall. Yes, of course. Yeah. And so you would, I mean, it just seems so simplistic compared to what video games are now. I mean, you know, for everybody that's listening, this game like existed in 1983 and you were were somebody who was on a safari, you were running in the jungle and you had to run through the jungle and you would win the game basically if you stayed alive for 20 minutes and you would be swinging over, you know, you would have to be running and you have to catch a vine swinging from the tree and go over quicksand and maneuver around alligators and avoid dangerous things like snakes and spiders and stuff like that. And for the first time ever, I was about to win. And I just, I just blanked out at the last second and literally with the countdown clock at one second, I ran into a snake and, and it was like, I was finally about to win the whole game for the first time. And I was 12 years old. And I think I was like on the verge of tears because I couldn't believe I had blown it. And then my dad's like sitting there. It's like, son, I can't believe you're crying about a video game right now. What is the matter with you? And so, yeah, that's my, uh, that's a little bit of my, my video game past. And that's why, uh, anytime I would play, uh, and did have a chance to win, I would get very frustrated if I felt like that it was being unjustly taken from me. Did you ever have one of those handheld, uh, the football with the three dots. Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I have one of those right now. My nephew heard me talk about that and got online and bought that for me for Christmas, not Christmas 2019, but that was a Christmas gift. Like I'm going to have to get one of those because yeah, yeah you, you would do the up and down real quick until you saw the opening and then yeah. you would, you would go through and it had the beeping noise and, and, uh, oh my gosh, the amount of pain and agony because, you know, Nick and Catherine Damaris, they would, we would drive to New York to see my uncle from Houston. There was no flying. I think on an airplane till I was 12. So uh, just imagine the hours of them having to hear that noise of the... And of course, then my brother, who's seven years older than me, you know, he had the rule that in the back seat, he got three-fourths of the back seat and I got a fourth. And he would build this wall. And so uh, needless to say, and of course, as parents, you know, they, they don't want justice. They want quiet. Yes, so even though he's the aggressor and causing all of the angst, uh, I would get yelled at because it would just stop the commotion. Dude, that is so fun. That is, you know, my my brothers and sisters are all way older, so there was never any family vacations together. But but even I have sense enough to know that you're exactly right. That that yeah, they didn't want justice. They weren't they weren't uh, they weren't the least bit concerned with with adjudicating things in the backseat fairly. All they wanted was. Uh, be quiet so we can concentrate on getting to the next town down the road. Yeah. And, and I was so stupid again, I was probably, you know, seven and he's 14, which is just massive. And we slept in the same room for a while and he would do this thing where he would pat on the bed just rapidly and make a noise when we were supposed to be asleep. And of course I would go and like put my hand on top of it to stop it because of course that's the only way you could do it. Right. Which is exactly what he wanted. And then he would scream for my parents and as soon as the door would open, he'd be grabbing onto the bottom of my pajamas and I'd be doing the Flintstones <laughs> running. And he would let go as soon as the door opened. And all they would see was me running to my bed. Well, of course, then I'm the problem. And I would you're fall up, for it yeah, you're up and every time. <laughs> all right, don't get me started because I can get, I can do about three podcasts on uh, on the therapy needed because of my brother, who I love very much and lay down in traffic. The great Ted Damaris. <laughs> But we've promised our voluminous fans uh, your top restaurants on the road. It was a top five list, but I think you couldn't keep it to five. Yeah, I just, I, brevity is not my strong suit. You know this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, they, uh, the Mavs want me to record uh, something uh, for DoorDash. And it's like, I, I, I think I can pick like a favorite restaurant to plug in for DoorDash. You got to give me at least three. You got to give me a chance to at least plug three restaurants in town to to talk about DoorDash. So, uh, here are the Followell Ten. Now these are on the road. Yeah, these you, are these are kind of your go tos, and you know, in cities you're like, oh, we have to go here. Yeah. So so this is not like the uh, in terms of Michelin five star restaurant. Right. That's not what this list is like. These are just places that I like to go, and they're going to run the gamut of. You know, there's a couple of really nice sit-down restaurants on here, but there's also just a lot of places that are casual dining, or even in a couple of cases, I think you would say hole-in-the-wall fast casual. 
uh, kind of places. So in no particular order, uh, this one came to mind first, Brian, because uh, my birthday this year, February 26th, we were in San Antonio. So lunch on the day of that game before the Mavs played the Spurs was at one of my favorite places, Rosario's in San Antonio. Are you familiar with that uh, fine Tex-Mex establishment? I am not. I've always been a big Meteora guy. Yeah, well, Meteora is good. Meteora is excellent. Yeah, Rosario's is better. Uh, my go-to meal there is typically the chicken mole enchiladas, which are fantastic. Uh, their smoke, their their salsa has a really great smoky taste to it. It's obviously like a roasted tomato salsa. It's not uh, a, a boiled salsa, so there's there's definitely that taste to it. And uh, they have great fish tacos there. So if you don't, if you're not an enchilada person or a mole person, um, fish tacos there are outstanding. Probably as good as I've ever had when it comes to fish tacos. All right. So, interesting. So Rosario's in San Antonio. Um, for the purposes of picking a really nice sit-down restaurant, probably if I were going to identify the nicest one at the top of my list that's on the road, the famous St. Elmo's Steakhouse in Indianapolis. Oh, you, yeah. and, and if, if you have to get the appetizer. Yes, you have to get the shrimp cocktail there. If you go there, they're famous for uh, a giant appetizer shrimp cocktail. You get four shrimp. They're huge. But what really makes it is the cocktail sauce, which is laden, heavily laden with horseradish. And, of course, if you're a, a spicy food fan and you have horseradish, you know that uh, the beauty of that is rather than like a pepper and and uh, the the scobles that get on your tongue and, you know, your your mouth feels like it's on fire forever. Uh, when it comes to horseradish, it's it's boom and it's over in two seconds. But it, so, you will walk out of there without any nose hair. Yeah, <laughs> your sinuses will be cleared yeah. from the horseradish. I'm not a spicy guy at all, but I do like the horseradish. I do like that, and that is definitely a go-to. So I, I definitely co-sign on that. Now, yeah. when you say fish tacos, I think you and I had fish tacos at James Beach. And, we did. Uh, they, they're better than those? Yes, yes, they okay. are. And James Beach in the Abbott Kinney area yes, of LA, Los Angeles. Santa yes. Monica. Yes, I, I, they are known for Venice. that. Yep, I think Rosario's are, are even better than that. Okay. Yep. Uh, if I were going to pick another fish taco place, it's not in the NBA anymore, but Lowell's in the Pike Place Market in Seattle, by the way. That's not on my list, but just, uh, it's a, just bonus. a good. Yeah, just a bonus for fish tacos. Uh, this is a go-to all the time. Some of my Memphis buddies say I've got to venture out from this place, but dude, I am rendezvous barbecue until yeah, I die. I've seen you post about that one. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Uh, the dry the dry sauce? Yep, yep, dry rub. Um I don't get the ribs there very often. I do barbecue chicken nachos for an appetizer, and they have a pork shoulder sandwich that is just absolutely phenomenal. They have a regular sauce. They have a spicy sauce in addition to the dry rub that goes on so the So you're ribs. going every trip? Every time. Absolutely every time. Um, we, we, were, uh, we were there whenever Charlie Virgos, who started the restaurant back in 1948, passed away. And they closed the restaurant down for a couple of days when it normally would be open for for services for him. And so that was uh, was was so sad to see Mr. Burgos, Burgos go, and so sad to to miss out on a chance to go to Rendezvous. But uh, it's 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 open for lunch a couple of days a week now. Uh, when when I first started going to Memphis with the Mavs, when the Grizzlies were, started playing there in 2001, Rendezvous was basically just open at night. But now they at least have lunch uh, a couple of days a week as well. Um, I, Sundays and Mondays, I think not open at all, but, but Tuesday to Saturday with lunch opportunities now on Friday and Saturday, um, in Washington, DC, I just found this place on our last trip there. The best Indian food that I've had on the road, Rasika. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and is it relatively new or you just found it? No, I just found it. And apparently this is a favorite of president Obama and Michelle, uh, the former first lady, because they would go there on date night quite often. Um, it's Rasika and it's, um, kind of in that white housey area. It's, it's not far away. I want to say like maybe 22nd and M I might not have the exact street corner, right, but not far from DuPont circle, not far from George Washington university and that part of town as well. Uh, number five on my list. I can't give you much there. I'm not a big Indian food guy. Well, uh, their chicken tiki masala is fantastic. And um, I, I don't remember the the name for it in Indian, but they have a spinach appetizer uh, that is just absolutely incredible. Uh, I know, like people saying, a spinach appetizer. Trust me, it is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, in Philadelphia, when I go for cheesesteaks, Brian, I know everybody's like Pat's, Geno's, and that kind of stuff. But the place I go is by George. It's on the Reading Terminal Market. Now you know what kind of guy I am. You know, I mean, this will come as no surprise to you that I love a good food hall. I mean, that's right in the followable wheelhouse to go to a food hall. 
And the Reading Terminal Market is a food hall that's right there in Center City, Philadelphia. And by George is a cheesesteak place in there. Great bread. Uh, I always do a chicken cheesesteak pretty much anywhere I go these days. Uh, and I think they are just absolutely fantastic. And this is one of the, it's a chain, but it's like a smaller, it's not kind of the big. No, no, it's not even a chain. It's oh, just, it's a a, yeah, it's a one-off right there in the Reading Terminal Market. Uh, Pat's and Gino's are obviously the, the big cheesesteak places. But look, there's a lot of other, there's a lot of other good ones in Philadelphia. Ishka Bibbles is one that I know a lot of people like. Um, look, that is such an underrated restaurant town, Philadelphia. Uh, yeah. Great pizza. Uh, I don't know if uh, the Iron Chef Masaharo Morimoto still has a restaurant there, but Mor- Morimoto had a great sushi place there that I used to go to really frequently. So that's just, uh, in general, an awesome restaurant town. But uh, a go-to for me always there is a lunch cheesesteak at By George in the Reading Terminal Market. Moving on to San Francisco. Now, we got to mix a little pizza in there, Brian. Zero Zero in San Francisco. It's in the South uh, Soma, South of Market area. And... Um, that is an excellent pizza place in San Francisco. Now, do you do did you do some research? Is this word of mouth? How did you find this place? Uh, this was kind of a weird deal where I was looking for, I was in the mood for pizza or Italian or something like that, and maybe a place that would serve a good craft cocktail. So, I, some, so a lot of times, like the method to the madness for me, I think we've discussed this before, I'll look at diners, drive-ins, and dives. Sure. And, but, but sometimes it's just, okay, phone let's let's look at where i am on the map on google and let's just type in restaurants and hit search and see how many restaurants in a 10 minute walking radius from the hotel come up and i'll read some reviews and look and see what i like and this particular day um you know zero zero was was something that sounded really good and i've tried to go back there as often as i could ever since it's a really really good pizza and also a nice uh, mixology cocktail menu as well Let's see, that is six, so I've got four more. Um, along the pizza line, of all places, uh, New Orleans, uh, and this place has great pizza, but also has great other things as well, Dominica, which is in yeah. the Waldorf Astoria Hotel right off Canal Street uh, in New Orleans. Fantastic place. Uh, Coop and I have gone there frequently, and, and uh, that's a place that over the years uh, uh, Rick Carlisle and Coop and I have gone to because we, we ate lunch there by chance, one time we bumped into each other there, and and the team won the game. So uh, we've continued. You're to, another good luck charm. Yeah, <laughs> even though we haven't won every game since, but Rick has been nice enough to uh, continue to invite us to have lunches there over the years. And look, the food is fantastic there. They've got a great selection of pastas, uh, fantastic salads, uh, just a, a really good spot. Um, a, a little bit of a tie-in right here. There's a restaurant called Hell's Kitchen in Minneapolis. Uh, they're known for great brunch and lunch, Brian, and they also have an outstanding Bloody Mary bar at Hell's Kitchen as well. So this is a really good brunch or lunch spot. You uh, walk down from street level down to the restaurant, hence the name Hell's Kitchen. Uh, in Hell's Kitchen in New York, I, I couldn't do this list without picking a New York City restaurant, Tacuba, which is a, you know, Rosario's is a Tex-Mex restaurant in San Antonio. This is a a genuine Mexican, like kind of Mexico City style food restaurant that is in uh, Hell's Kitchen in New York City, 9th and 53rd, I yep, believe. Yeah, that's right, right the heart of it. Yeah. Yep, yep, those are the cross streets. It's called Tacuba, and that's an excellent place that I would recommend to anybody if you're looking for some really good Mexican food at some point in time uh, in New York City. And then last but not least, uh, this is probably the biggest hole-in-the-wall place that's on my list. One day in Boston, Brian, I was craving a banh mi sandwich, the uh, the great Vietnamese banh, banh mi sandwich, and I Googled and looked about the best banh mi's in Boston, and I found a place called New Saigon Sandwich Shop that was less than a five-minute walk from the hotel that we stay at by the Boston Commons, and this is a cash-only, I mean, and, and I've Instagrammed pictures of this place. I mean, it is, dude, it is nothing. I mean, it is little bitty. It is five bucks for a sandwich and another dollar to get a can of Coke. There might be two tables that you could sit in this restaurant. I mean, it really is a place that you go pick up a sandwich and take it back to your hotel room. Uh, but man, it is the best banh mi sandwich that I've ever had. Wow. Yeah. Now, I had a really good one in Houston, and I wish I could remember the name of the place that I went to in Houston recently. But but uh, you being a Houston guy, uh, I would I, I, I'll, I will find that, and I'll try to uh, tell you about that and remind everybody of that at some point down the road. But but this is a, a fantastic banh mi sandwich in Boston, New Saigon Sandwich Shop. So, so there you go. Not, so um, 
you're not a stuffed pizza guy oh, like no. Chicago. You don't like that. No, no, no. Okay. Thin crust all the way, man. Okay, yeah, we're definitely on opposite sides of that one. I'm, I'm a Giordano's every time I go to Chicago. I eat that at Giordano's, but I don't get the Chicago oh, style. Yeah, I get missing the, out. Yeah, on, the hand toss on too. heaven. The thinnest crust that they'll do there, which is like a hand toss, which is which is which is fine for me. Uh, and then also in Chicago, Gibson's is probably my favorite steakhouse in the country. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I have, I'm not familiar with Gibson's. Um, you know, like if, if I were going to have picked a Chicago restaurant to put on the list, I probably would have put Frontera Grill, which is Rick Bayless's place. I, I, it's a, and that's a Mexican food place. And, you know, I've always loved his cooking shows on TV and his cookbooks and such. So if I were going to put a Chicago restaurant, it would have been Frontera Grill. That's pretty high on my list as well. Okay. Yep. Okay. Maybe in a future episode we can get uh, bars and drinks, as you mentioned some of those already. But yep. I know you and I have have uh, enjoyed some speakeasies and places with no sign in New York together. And yes, absolutely. To, I, I like exploring those kind of hidden places, and I do similar to you, where I try to find, uh, you know, not go to the popular ones or the ones that have the buzz, but. You know the, mm-hmm. the the smaller ones that maybe have really high quality and things of that nature. Well, it, look, it was fun where the to, locals go. Yeah, and that is always a good thing. Anywhere you go, go with even the when you're go. traveling overseas, yes. you're in Italy or yep. as you do go Mexico often. To, yep. You know, find out where the locals are. You know, I'm really glad that we did that. And you know, look, I don't know how many people will listen to this and say, "Hey, man, I'm going to go to that restaurant that Follow Will suggested." But but you know, I do love to share my travel opinions because I know. Uh, you know, how rewarding travel can be. But if you have a bad experience, I know how like it can mess with you in terms of wanting to to be adventurous when it comes to travel. So I, I hope that somebody gets something out of this. But more importantly, I got to tell you, man, I got something out of it because, you know, we're just even though it was only March 11th and we're recording this on April 1st. I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, it was not that long ago, but it feels so long ago and such a, just a totally different world now. Uh, than the life that that I lead for six, seven months out of the year, every year now for 20 years. And it's just like, I'm so far removed from it. So, we are, so we going were, back and, and, and just thinking about these places and reminiscing, it's 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 cool and it, it energizes me. Honestly. As we record this, we are three weeks from the last game. Yeah, three weeks from today, that's right. And frankly, yeah. I think the Mavs were probably one of the last games to finish up because yep. there was no, you know, they canceled the late game. Yeah, that Sacramento game, whoever it was that they were playing, because referee Courtney Kirkland had been around Rudy Gobert two days before. Yep. So, um, yeah, it's been a extremely long three weeks, and as we know, you know, this is going to be at least another month of the in, in Texas shelter in place, and there there doesn't seem to be any kind of timetable. Mark Cuban has backed off his uh, before June first comments uh, yeah. just this morning. Yep. So, yep. Um, you know, and from our conversation with Casey, it doesn't look like they're getting any guidance from the league on, you know, when things could start up much less practice facilities even being open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, then that, that is going to be an aspect of it that might allow them to start easing into preparations for the, you know, the full on return of a mini camp then to prepare for games. But, you know, look, as we talked about last week, I mean, can you imagine how restrictive those environments are going to have to be to protect the players whenever they do get back to a place where they can start to reopen facilities and things like that. How few people are going to be allowed in there. How, I mean, there's going to have to be, you know, temperature checks and just, just everything imaginable to clear every person that so much as puts a toenail in that facility. Well, think about your TV truck at Fox sports. I mean, there's what, 10 people in there Yeah, that you have to, to deal with. And, you know, again, some of the things Casey said from his experience, on a basketball without borders trip in China, um, you know, not only are you going to test, which now we're starting to get tests that will have, you know, more rapid responses within minutes, maybe. Yep. Um, you're going to have to have temperature checks mm-hmm. and yep. and continued monitoring of those players mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, to get through keeping, you know, because if, if somebody tests positive again, then we start at ground zero. And along those lines, by the way, we did address this last week. And just to kind of to remind everybody, 
um, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell with Utah. And when we, we were on our podcast recording it last week, I think right before that, uh, the report came out that they were cleared. Christian Wood from the Detroit Pistons, I think the report came out as we were reporting last week that he had been cleared. Marcus Smart from the Boston Celtics has been cleared. As a matter of fact, I think he's already engaging in a program where he's going to donate blood so his so that's blood with uh, with uh, COVID nineteen antibodies, and so that's one of the many different for testing. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the many different uh, treatments that are being looked at. Besides vaccines being fast tracked and a number of different uh, drugs and clinical trials right now, uh, and experimental uses and and uh, you know um, uh, emergency use authorization, I believe is what the the Food and Drug Administration calls it. Like for example, an emergency use authorization authorization authorizing to actually prescribe chloroquine the anti-malarial Correct. drug for treatment for example of of coronavirus but but so so Marcus Smart's going to get involved with that Brian uh the Brooklyn Nets players Kevin Durant the only one of the four identified because he identified himself he brought it to the forefront himself uh he's been cleared the Lakers announced earlier this week. And all the nets have been cleared. All the nets, yes. All the nets have been cleared. Thank you very much for clearing that up. The Lakers had two players who tested positive. Uh, those two players have never been identified. It is not leaked out at all. Uh, but the Lakers did announce this week that everybody had cleared their self-isolation period and the potential incubation period for for the appearance of symptoms. So they're cleared from uh, a COVID-19 perspective. Uh, the only thing that's really out there NBA-wise right now is – we haven't really heard a resolution about the three individuals in the 76ers organization, or at least I haven't. Uh, the Denver Nuggets, there was one individual in the organization. Uh, there's never been really any further reporting on that. And, of course, then Saturday night it was announced that Knicks owner James Dolan is positive for coronavirus. But from a player perspective, it does at least appear that, we've, that we have cleared that for the time being. Now, obviously, that can change at any moment. But the reason why, uh, you know, that that I mean, look, we're all in, in shelter in place here in Texas. But, but I mean, uh, you know, clearly from talking with Casey, I mean, that that is really, really, really being stressed to a player standpoint, yes. because that's uh, that's such an important component. Not the only one, because there's, you know, a societal aspect to look at as well here uh, with, with the startup of the NBA. But that's clearly a, a, a vital component is you've got to keep everybody uh, you know, on the negative side of things uh, and, and, and not anybody testing. Positive. And the reason we, you know, we focus on the sports aspect, you know, as part of what Cuban, I think was talking about when he was mentioning getting back to June 1st. And even this morning, he said it again, you know, sports just plays such a, a big role in giving people something to think about other than this, mm-hmm. you know, watching the news and, uh, you know, communal aspects where people can bond over it and start yeah. arguing about sports again, yeah. instead of some heavier things. And so, you know, I think that is why, even though it's not ideal to play games without fans, that there is a desire to get sports back, you know, on the plate. Because, you know, I, you know, I, I remember uh, this great documentary that's out there, Nine Innings from Ground Zero. You can watch it on YouTube about the 2001 World Series, which mm-hmm. was played six weeks after 9-11 and how the Yankees were in that, obviously, against the Diamondbacks. And even though the Yankees lost that series, uh, it just helped galvanize not only that city, but the whole nation in terms of, just being it's okay to start steps to move on with life. Yes. And uh, I was actually at game uh, five of that series. Luckily Uh, one of, you know, obviously one of the best sports moments I've ever had. Very briefly in game two, the Yankees were down 2-0, bottom of the ninth, two outs, two strikes, ended up winning the game uh, in uh, extra innings, Mm -hmm. a home run tied it and they won extra innings. Well, I'm literally in Dallas with tickets to Game Five in my hand. I'm jumping around because everybody was a Yankees fan. That that you know yeah. that that go around, and then going, oh crap, that, that was the best World Series game ever, and I'm going to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> well, Game Five, literally two o, two outs, two strikes, bottom of the ninth. Same pitcher, uh, pitching relief pitcher for the Diamondbacks, and Scott Brocious hits a home run to yeah. tie the game, and they win in extra innings, and that's when Jeter became Mister November and all that because yep. he. His heroics were at twelve oh one on November first. Yeah, all of that. <laughs> I remember Mister November, baby. I love that. But it just was one of those times where you're like, okay, we're we can, you know, we're together. We're we're, mm-hmm. we're going to get through this. And yep. even if it's virtually on TV, watching it, um, I think it will be 
special. And especially when fans are back in, as, as you know, Kristaps said, you know, it's just going to be a love fest. Yes. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, things are going, it doesn't seem like it. I mean, it just seems so far out there, but things are going to get back to some level of normalcy one day. I mean, you know, life has not, things will change and things will be different, of course, you know, just like they were after 9-11. But life as we know it has not ceased to exist. We're not going to, you know, live in this uh, dystopian universe that we're in right now forever, you know. And and getting sports back, of course, is going to be a big step to that. And there's a whole lot of other aspects and pieces to that puzzle as well. But, but man, I'm uh, I'm counting the days till that all happens. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have, uh, you know, normal podcasts then, although I love going over a list of restaurants and and having our guests on and things like that, but uh, we'll be we'll be breaking down basketball again uh, at some point, and I can't wait for it, man. Looking, well, next really week, to it. amazing as it sounds, will be one year from good old Dirk's last game. April that? 9th was his last home game, and of course the big ceremony after in April yeah. 10th. So I want to get your thoughts on broadcasting those last few games. Amazing how it is that it's been a year. Yep. Um, so yeah we'll have a little Dirk retrospective uh, next week that sounds great I'm looking forward to it alright we'll see everybody back then thanks a lot this is 77 Minutes in Heaven